Welcome to the Cool Shift Podcast, dedicated to beer lovers, home brewers, and professionals alike. With your hosts, Warren, the Professor Wilson, and Matt, Zigmeister Ziegler. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to grab a beer and chill on the Cool Shift. Welcome to the Cool Ship. It's been a while uh, since I was able to do something like this. Welcome, Matt. Cheers. Oh, cheers. Um, so we decided to start this podcast once again to bring back uh, some beer talk to the East Coast. Um, I'm getting a signal. Am I moving? No, I got a good thumbs up. So we're golden now that my producer's happy. Um, we're starting this podcast up, and we want to bring some education to the folks we talk about beer we talk about uh brewers professional brewers Mm -hmm. and hence why you're here matt um we also are going to move into some interviews uh come late later on on some other episodes but for this episode we wanted to jump right in with our feet uh give you a little bit of background about what we do uh who i am who matt is and then talk to you about what oktoberfest is because we're right around that time. It is September uh, 19th, no, 22nd. 22nd. So we have about a week left before Oktoberfest really starts. Yep. Uh, so we're right in the line with the season. And if you haven't yet done it and you're a home brewer, you still have time to make your Oktoberfest or your Mocktoberfest. Uh, come see me at Homebrew University. So that leads into my next thing. I am Warren Wilson. I own Homebrew University over in Hackestown, New Jersey. I have been brewing for over 21 years. Um, as of the late last five years, I've been trying to teach people how to make beer at home, uh, getting a bunch of people involved in home brewing. A couple of years ago in 2009, we, um, we, we set up a club with about six people and ended up growing it to about 100. Uh, we have two factions now. We have about 50 in the east and 50 in the west. Uh, religiously showing up, we get about 20 to 25 people a, a night coming into that uh, meeting once a month. Uh, we did a, I did a podcast prior to this with another group of people. Um, as you well may know, it was uh, a pretty popular show, um, but that's a different story now. And um, we have started now this cool ship enterprise. Uh, which is yes, we have yeah, and it's a it's a great name if those of you don't know what a cool ship is I recommend that you look it up. We will talk about that in, in a little while But I own this homebrew shop I'd like to teach people how to make beer and then on the other side of the of the microphone. We have uh, our second host uh, This is Matt Ziegler. He hails from Larrystown, New Jersey. Welcome yep. Matt. Oh, thank you. Uh, so my name is Matt Ziegler I own uh, Zigmeister Brewing here in Hackettstown. We're starting up a craft brewery in town. Cha-ching. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully one day I'll be printing money, but for a while I'll be spending (laughs) a large chunk of it. You're going to be printing beer is what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
so we're uh, we're just moving along now. Just got into my building a couple weeks ago. Uh, but let me give you a little background on myself before I really even move into that. Um, I do not have the huge homebrewing and length of experience as Warren has, but I bring a little bit of a different side to it. Uh, I started off in college and I got a triple major in microbiology, biochemistry, and molecular and cellular biology. So I have a little bit of a science background there. A little there. glutton for yeah. punishment there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But oh. you have like labs every day and then one class a week? Is labs that, every day. I decided I took classes through the summer, man. It was <laughs> the worst college experience ever. Um, but uh, after graduating, uh, looking for you know lab jobs out there because I really didn't understand at the time how stupid I was looking for lab jobs and not just jumping right into beer. And um, you dumbass. Yeah, I know, right? And you I picked up uh, picked up home brewing on the side while looking for jobs and never really you know never went back after that. Uh, after well, about good. eight months or so of home brewing, brewing just mm, oh, what the heck was it? Once a week, twice a week, three times a week, every day. Sometimes uh, I decided, you know, this is what I want to do, and I'm gonna, no. uh, I'm gonna go back to school for it. So, no, went, on yep. that note, what what did your parents say when you're like, mom, dad, you know what? I'm I'm gonna stop doing what I'm doing. All that money you spent yeah, all that money school, that you spent for college, yeah, let's I'm, change this let's up change, a little. <laughs> yeah, let's change it up a little bit. You know, those three majors I have, let's not throw them out of the window totally, but I'm not gonna go become a chemist or a doctor anymore. Yeah, I'm gonna go make. Beer. <laughs> what was your, what was I'm pretty sure that's exactly how my parents heard it too. It's like, Mom, Dad, I want to make beer, and my dad, I, honestly, I, they didn't say anything because it was like a good thirty seconds of silence. So I were wrapping their heads around that. There. How'd you get the mustard to get that? You know, to go in and tell them that. I mean, like that had to been a little nerve wracking. No? It was. Um, I mean, the big thing was is you know I did. I did my research into uh, Siebel Institute where I ended up getting my uh, degree in brewing science. Let's we'll um, hash that out a little bit later on. Uh, yeah. I'm going to definitely ask you some questions on that one. So, so uh, let me interrupt you. Yeah, this yeah, this yeah. show, even though you are a host, I'm going to be asking you all these questions. You can do the same for me, but uh, we just got to talk. <laughs> I, I am more in line to be like, okay, so tell us a little about that. Shake that out a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but get back to where you were before. I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry. No, just moving forward. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what was it? After about eight months or so of, of home brewing, I had a small lab job on the side, but it really wasn't piquing my interest. So I went back to I went back to school to Siebel Institute. Uh, it's a brewing school over in Chicago, a pretty uh, relatively prestigious one. It's one of the older brewing schools, one of the oldest brewing schools, at least in the U.S. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> um, and uh, it was a advanced brewing class, so it's a little bit more accelerated, but they require you to either have a brewing background or a science degree. So I was able to get in with the science degree. That and, was in Chicago, right? Yeah, it was Chicago, and they have a, a sister school as part of their program in Munich, Germany. So it was an accelerated program, 12-week program, seven weeks in Chicago, five weeks over in Germany. Oh, so I got sucks. to spend out, yeah, it was terrible, terrible time over in Germany, drinking all that beer, you know. That was the worst 70 degree weather in March ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, I wish I could go back over there. I will be, yeah. Well, you'll be there. Yeah, I'll be there soon time, enough, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, right after that, I uh, jumped right into uh, the brewing world. Um, got a job in upstate New York at, with Adirondack Pub and Brewery. I was one of their brewers for a year. It was right when they were pushing out from pub into now, more production brewing. What size are they? 
They are a 15-barrel brewery, but they're making about 500 to 1,000 barrels of beer a year. And so for those that don't know, one barrel is 31 gallons. 31 gallons, yeah. Um, so multiply that times how many barrels will give you the amount of gallons that are put out. And there's 128 ounces in a gallon. So you're getting around 10, 12-ounce bottles in one gallon of beer. So if you can think of it that way, break it down that way, yeah. you get a lot of beer out of a 15-barrel system. Um, Did they always were they always fifteen barrels? They were always a fifteen barrel system, but they were they were just a, a brew pub, so they weren't really producing a lot of beer. They were just making this stuff for the people in Lake George coming in during vacations, a few people there during the winter, and then they realized that one of their beers is really picking up, so they decided to start production, and that's right our bigger production sale outside of the area, and that's right when I kind of jumped in with them. What was the beer? Uh, Bare Naked Ale. It was a German amber kind of almost. Yeah. Martin. Almost very, very similar to probably what a Martin would be. Um, it was more. Uh, I mean, we'll go on this later. Actually, yeah, we'll just go into that later and yeah. explain the type of beer later <laughs> on. Um, but it was, it was a German esque amber ale. Uh, but it was picking up like crazy. Everybody was coming in and buying that stuff. So he, the owner, wanted to crank it out, and we started at a thousand barrels uh, when I was there. And by the time we were leaving, it was twenty five hundred. 2,500 barrels we were making, and they had already added an additional building to the side of it uh, that could possibly do 10,000 barrels. That's brewing, what, like 10 times in a month? Yeah, it's, uh, it was it was uh, to the point we were almost brewing every day. Yeah. Uh, we were, about two months before I left, we were hiring other people in there to be able to uh, clean kegs and do some of the stuff that we weren't able to do as brewers because we were constantly going throughout the day just brewing beer. Um, a little bit after I, I had left and I went back there, they were brewing three batches in a day on a 15-barrel system and doing a water knockout, which is just uh, – they were doing high-gravity high brewing sure, and, just knocking, and out knocking out with water. water later on to bring it back down to its regular gravity, doing 60 barrels of beer a day of production. What was their bright barrel system. What was their fermentation? They had, a, they had two 60-barrel fermenters that they brought in right, at, right as I was leaving. So they were filling those things up constantly, one 60-barrel one fermenter a day. They were cranking through. Out of how many brewers were on, on board? Uh, they had, it was just me and Adam there to start off with. And then they pulled in another guy and I think they had three brewers there uh, when they were doing that. Wow. That's a lot of beer to be pushing in a day. Yeah. I mean, on such a small 15 barrel system, no less. Yeah. I could see 60 barrels out of a 60 barrel system. And they were doing that in a 12 hour period. It wasn't like they were doing that throughout the whole day, right. night shift and no, everything. Was that was a regular work shift. Yeah. So Amazing. that was crazy. But I was, I was there for a year and, uh. I knew going into there that I wanted to open my own place eventually. Uh, Adirondack was a great place to start off at. They, you know, really got me into the production side of stuff, helped me off with the the brew pub side, which is a lot of recipe formulation, and the fact that I was still having to brew while they were under construction building another thing really Absolutely. helped me out. That was, that was yeah, helped me out with that as well. Um, but then moving down to Jersey or back down to Jersey because I've always been from North Jersey area, uh, I needed a job or wanted to look for a job down here, and that's where I got a job at Cane Brewing, and I was their head brewer for about two years, but that was a year after they had already been open. And, you know, helped them out. Uh, put them on the map. Yeah, put them on the map. Did a lot of uh, efficiency changes, put a few different other beers out there. Mike Kane really knows his Belgians, uh, Belgian-style beers and his IPAs, his hop, uh, his understanding of hops is, like, spot on. Sure. My background in hops was practically nothing. Um, coming from the Adirondack pub, it was majority malty style beers. So I really learned all the grains up over there and the different flavors the grain gave, but working with Mike, 
uh, it definitely helped me uh, learn a lot more and about hops. It's pretty funny that Mike, Mike was a home brewer. Um, no professional experience. Yeah, yeah, just a home brewer. And it's funny that you say he knows the hop side of it. Mm. Most home brewers from you know the year 2000, from the time that I was in, hops are intriguing when you're home brewing. So yeah. you have access to an unlimited supply of many different flavors of hops, so you're going to experiment. As a production brewer, you really don't have that ability to, to break that down into 50,000 different types of hops. Yeah. You're beholden to a few styles, maybe a few experimental styles, and a few types of hops. Mm -hmm. But you know, having Mike come in knowing that and having you come in from the other end, kind of like a marriage made in heaven. Yes. Yeah. And you guys kicked it. I mean, you guys yeah. when we started, When we started off, Kane yep. was just touting himself as a Belgian and an IPA brewery. <clears throat> yep. And I came in there, and my background was major, mainly malt. And I was – the way I almost started it off was like, okay, you know, let's just do what Mike wants to do. And we were pushing right. forward with the Belgians and the and the, and the the hop forward IPAs, double IPAs. And it was going great. But I was like, you know, I, I'd love to try a few different other styles of beer here, like uh, the Imperial Porter that we put together, the Imperial Stouts, uh, Brown Ales, a few other things. And, yeah, and um, uh, their barrel aging program. Right. Uh, I moved that stuff forward. And it was – and it was what I was able to bring in, I think, that really, you know, and what they had to begin with that really made Kane what it is now because it rounded the whole thing out and brought a new quality that New Jersey really hasn't seen before. Yeah, when I uh, when I interviewed him, it was just, I guess it was, I would say his very infantile stage of, yeah. of business. It was open maybe in the summertime. We interviewed him in the, in the fall. He came up with a bunch of his beers. They were all good. He was very forward and very uh, upcoming with information about what he was doing and what he mm -hmm. was looking for and i think that following spring was or was it spring when you no it was actually fall so he so that following yeah. fall was when you when i started back up yeah. that's weird um it just comes around in circles and then following two falls later or really august yeah another year two years goes by and you, you end up at my doorstep saying hey i'm matt ziegler I'm yeah <laughs> i'm gonna be opening a brewery right down the road from you um yeah <clears throat> So, I mean, that's really where, you know, it came out. It was, uh, what was it, April? Uh, so, yeah, about almost two years, but a little like a year and a three quarters or whatever. I left Kane right. to start this whole thing up over here in Hackettstown. And, uh, yeah, the rest is kind of, you know. And here we are. History chatting out with Warren and everything over at Homebrew waiting for everything to kind of move and forward. And some good conversations that we have. Yeah. Of which we're going to get into in a little while. Um, coming up right now is our first commercial so sit back relax enjoy we'll be back in two and two and uh we'll come back to you to talk about oktoberfest how to make one and where to go from there mm -hmm. So, welcome back. Um, we've gotten a little break. We got up, and I guess we're we're going to pour ourselves the Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest Brauhaus Regal. Is that how would you pronounce that, Mike? Let's see here. Um, I guess that means Royal Brewery. <laughs> right? Yeah, Brauhaus Regal. I guess. Yeah. While we uh, while we review this, we're going to go over the history of the Martin style 
of beer. Now, a brief history, uh, March literally means March beer. And you know why that is, Matt? Uh, yeah. Um, it was the... Hold on, hold on. There, there go. we go. Yep. It's the, uh, the whole idea that um, lagering takes time. The lagering process in beer takes time. So in order to make their... Uh, beer for the end of the or end of the harvest. They would brew that in the beginning of the harvest and lager it through the whole summer. So they would start in March for but, their Oktoberfest. But lagering takes cold conditioning. Yeah. And how do you cold condition back in the 1500s? Or yeah, do it underground. So they would bury it, or they would they put they, they're by the Alps, I guess, right? Yeah, and they would be digging holes into the ground and having lar the like their brewery side. would be. On first floor, and they would have like multiple floors underneath with metal, uh, like a metal tank, and right. then that would keep it cold underground at a certain temperature. So for a very long time, yeah, it's pretty interesting. The the Marzen beer is a common designation for particular beer that has been brewed in Germany and Austria for for hundreds of years. I mean, I often tell this to my customers: if you think that you're doing something new in beer, you aren't, because beer has been around forever, Ever. Um, which is pretty cool. Uh, another significance is that, you know, since it's being a German uh, ale, it fits right in with the Reinheitsgebet, uh, the Bavarian Beauty Law um, from 1487 to 1988. Could you imagine having a law? That was a, was a very <laughs> big that one. That long? And it was, it, it was the first law of its kind, right? Yeah, it was. And it was specifically for, you know, a couple of reasons, not only tax related, but also for making sure no brewers didn't get you sick. Yeah. Yeah, because they would throw anything in the beer. Yeah, that's right? no, back when the Gruet style was very big. They uh, they figured out, too, that it was very tough to keep brewing in the summertime. So in 1553, um, the law was amended to include the fact that the brewing season occurred. And the brewing season was September 29th through April 23rd. And those two dates are significant. First off, getting away from the pagan Germanistic uh, outlook, they were holidays one was the first day the september 29th day which is what day the start of october right yeah. well no october fest no. starts a little earlier but back then it started october fest that's actually saint michael's day wow and then through september uh, i'm sorry through april 23rd which is saint george's day so they had these two religious holidays that they could brew from september 29th through april 23rd and those were that was the brewing season yes. after april 23rd they had to stop brewing, but by then they had brewed all their Martzen beer and Oktoberfest. There are two types of Martzen ales. Can you name them? Uh, Martzen ale. Would that be Vienna lagers right. and Oktoberfest? Uh, yeah, Oktoberfest. Yep, those are the two Martzen ales. Now there's a third category called Fest beer. Fest beer. Yep, and it's a little bit different. So I guess, I don't know what the difference is. I guess that's a new category that's come out for BJCP guidelines. This is the BJCP guideline for an Oktoberfest? Yeah, <laughs> possibly. You never know. You don't know. <laughs> Maybe that was it. Um, <clears throat> so most of the time, these beers have a lower fermentation, which results in a cleaner, uh, more stable beer uh, and less spoilage. So basically a lager mm -hmm. in, in terms. Uh, it was made in March and had to be either consumed immediately thereafter or store, stored and lagered over the summer months in a very cold situation um, and then enjoyed in late fall or late summer, early fall. Yeah. 
Um, now, we've, we're trying this one. This one's from Sierra Nevada. It's their Oktoberfest beer. You probably find this in most any market that you go to to find beer. Um, oh, yeah, I'm sure. They tout anything in there. Like, uh, you know, this is brewed specifically with this type of Munich malt and this type of hop. Or not really, uh, just no, uh, tradition, no. tradition, tradition. Yeah, it says deep gold color, uh, rich malty flavor, but doesn't really specify any certain types. I'm sure they're adding in here, you know, very uh, traditional malty complex. Yeah. I'm getting a lot of Munich, but I'm also getting a lot of pills and malt in this. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're getting that. Yeah. But I guess that's, uh, that's you're something. That, you're getting that readiness from Vienna and Munich. Yeah, the Vienna, the Munich. That slightly toasty base malt is really what you're pulling out. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, a lot of Pilsner. And Magnum hops or Pearl hops. Or yeah, you get it's the uh, that noble, um, that noble-ish, noble you know, European characteristic on exactly. a hop. But it's it's, nice. it's really, you know, it, it's malt forward, but not sweet malt forward. Mm -hmm. It's very balanced. base. Yeah, base it, malt. Yep, you know? base malt, and it's balanced with those hops. I mean, mm -hmm. those hops come through nicely. Well, I'm surprised. Well, I shouldn't say surprise. Sierra always puts out a good beer, but it's um, it's very tasty. It's uh, I would say it's golden color. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, gold with, to amber. With this style, you're not looking for that, you know, those Bach characteristics where you're getting that sweetness to it. You're you're you are looking for that balance, so it, it does come through. Answer me this: You've been to Germany. What's up with that? Those fake Martins that they're drinking, those Hell's beers that they're drinking at Oktoberfest. How come yeah. they're not drinking traditional Oktoberfest? I don't get it. I, I'm not sure if it's, you know, they just found that by maybe throwing a Hellas out there, more people drink it because you have all those people light liking lagers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have the, the, the premium lager, light lager that everybody's going for these days. Maybe they're well, trying to not control everybody because the there's a lot more craft people coming in. But, you know, yeah, I think I think the big thing is, is that they found they could sell more light lager than they could Martin. So they're just throwing it out to people. Now, you've brewed before. You've brewed these before, have you not? Yes. It's not hard to brew an Oktoberfest for sure. Not not that hard. No, the the hardest part is if you're going for tradition is the fermentation. So would the you, brewing is is very simple. Would you say that you need to boil for sixty minutes or ninety minutes or more since you're using Pilsner? Yeah, if you're if you're using if you're using Pilsner malt in there, um, I would definitely go for a ninety minute boil. So here here's a little bit of history. Um, during the eighteenth century, Vienna and Munich brewed. Uh, the Martin style beer. So Vienna brewed ales and Munich brewed lagers. The Settlemeyer family, uh, the Franziskaner brewery mm -hmm. uh, founders, extended lagering brewing practices through time. They they were the go-to people to learn how to lager. They knew everything about lagering. So this guy named Anton Dreher, um, who was from Vienna, decided to, hey, listen, we got this new technique from Wheeler, from Daniel Wheeler, who's an Englishman who figured out a new machine to kiln um, okay. grains. Kiln the Vienna grain to a light color, and Dreher's like, I can do this with lager. I just need to find out how to do it. Settlemeyer family taught him how to do it, and so he started brewing Vienna lagers. So he brewed these Vienna lagers. They were light in color, clear cold very balanced crisp beer and he was like the first one to come up with that category of beer and then another guy named joseph grohl from you said it earlier 
Berlichs. Oh, the Berlich Brewhouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Invented the Pilsner. So from this Martin, we could thank, you know, Anton Dreher and Jeff Brohl for developing the Bud Miller cores of our of our age, the, the light lagers and yeah. the, the takeover of really beer in America, mm -hmm. which is now on the vengeance or on, on a verge of becoming more and more into craft. So thank you, Anton Dreher and, and Jeff Grohl for coming up with those two. Um, but, you know, the great experiment of our country has set us back literally almost 100 years in the brewing industry. Yeah. Which is a shame. And I was thinking about it today. The last, this is a little off topic, but the last state to be ratified from the 1980 signing of the Home Brewing Guild mm -hmm. was Alabama. Was it Alabama? Last year. Really? Oh, man, I thought that was done. At 85 years after Prohibition was repealed. That's It took 85 years for all 50 states to ratify that into their law. And I think at some point we're going to have to have one of these shows go into all the crazy beer laws that are out there because there are so <laughs> Starting with the Red Hotska button. <laughs> just not even like beer, not even laws that made sense at some point. These were just ridiculous to begin with. Uh, well, that's that's for another time. That's no, and that's yeah, that is a that's a whole show in and oh of itself. Goodness, you least. know, that's just uh, too much right now. I'm just trying to think of what what our next step is here. Um, that's basically the history of of Martin. I mean, there's not much to it, but the fact of the matter is, we got the brewing season identified mm -hmm. because of Martin sometime in 1500s. We have. Um, a beer law that's been around that was around now it's not Ryan Huskabut anymore it's the beer gazettes the Ryan Huskabut was around for almost 500 years that's a law that I just that's could you imagine living in the United States and 500 years later going why did some guy 500 years ago create this law for this and they stuck to it we change laws well, just all thinking the, all, about, every day. Just like, thinking about a, a law being around for you know the U.S. Thinking of a law being around for five hundred years. I mean, our country has been right. around for five hundred. That's what years. I mean. Our yeah. country hasn't even been around yeah. for five hundred years. So even to think about that, it's just nuts. And then we have you know the Settlemeyer family coming in here, who really took over the lagering aspects of everything. Put out a re they still do today. The Francis Gunner still puts out a good Oktoberfest. Yes. Um, the the brewery is very famous for lagering. They've been around for close to three hundred years anyway. Yeah. So they're older than our country. And then, you know, to to couple with Daniel Wheeler's invention in eighteen seventeen of the kiln, uh, the drum kiln, and Anton Dreher and Joseph Grohl for putting it out there and becoming the first Vienna lager and Pilsner brewers. Now for the for the drum I'm just there's a few different methods that I'm thinking of in my head and I'm not hundred percent uh understanding of, of some of the stuff that sure. they put out there was the drum kiln the um just still a direct fire kiln still a direct fire kiln so this just it it just evenly kiln it evenly kiln so you no. didn't have more burnt areas of other right. stuff so you oh, that okay so you could yeah. actually you couldn't regulate the temperature of heat getting in because it was direct fired but you could regulate where the heat was getting okay to. okay and so you could actually kiln to a light color mm -hmm. when they had different colors of malts, um, I don't know. They, they they probably still had smokiness to them because yeah, of the fire. Because of the direct fire, yeah. yeah. Um, but for the first time, and today, it's 
basically a lot of it is steam. That was my finger, by the way, and I apologize for that. I hit my mic with my finger. I'm getting a hurry up and tie up here. So um, anyway, Daniel Wither's killing process really helped us move forward in the brewing aspects. And thanks to Anton Dreher and Jeff Gold for coming up with the Pilsner and the Lager. Yeah, just, and just before before we uh, you know cut out as completely, just to bring back into the Sierra Nevada on you know a little bit and sure. talk again back into no, this absolutely. into this beer. Um, I mean the the the, the just the, the flavors coming through to really get people a good idea as to the, you know, the, octo the that flavor on the, so when we're, we're going to pull in a few other, you know, uh, commercial examples as we go through here. We want to be able to break these all down for you. We have one other example to go through. Um, but break these down so that you can see, you know, how just brewing in general, although you know a certain style, everybody's going to have different flavors coming through. So this one specifically you know, I'm smelling like on the nose for this thing here as, as you know, we're going through it. The, the, you're, I mean, you're getting more caramel uh, in the aroma than you're really pulling yeah. out in the, in the flavor. No, absolutely. There's, there's more caramel. There's hardly any hops in the nose. And then, you know, I'm getting a lot of Munich caramel. I'm getting a lot of like um, light toast um, than I am in the flavor, but I'm getting a lot of grain yes. in the flavor. And then finishing with I'm, the Hallett Tower or the German yeah. Noble Hop so, coming through yeah. in the end. No, I'm, I'm getting the same. It's definitely grain forward in the flavor, especially in the beginning. And then the hops finish it. Hops for the finish, but that... The nice spicy yeah. hop. Not not fruity hop, not earthy mm -hmm. hop, but a spicy hop. And there's hardly any play with any um, yeast. But, um, oh, but you're getting that crisp, clean lager finish. Right, right. And almost that... Uh, European or German style lager finish to it right. as opposed to an American style lager where it's got a little bit more of a sulfur presence. Absolutely. That, that little, that dry, sulfury snap to the end. Sure. Absolutely. And the finish is clean. There's no lingering. That's the lager aspect yeah. of it. So. Yeah. All right. Very clean. So moving on, um, we're going to cut to another break right now. Uh, we're going to come back with another example of beer um, and then talk to you about what's coming up. So stick around. Hang out, grab yourself your favorite Oktoberfest, and we'll talk to you in two and two. Welcome back. Uh, we're back now after having the Sierra Nevada. Yeah, we were uh, talking a little bit about it there during the uh, during the break, just kind of trying to break it down ourselves even a little bit further. Um, trying to come up with a good way to describe it. Describing um, it, you know, really one of the hardest ways things. to almost make it your, make it yourself at home. Try to you know, we were we were talking about you know recipe formulation on this. What thing. goes in it? What yeah, goes right? in it? How, how to make this? How to clone it? You know. Yep. So to, to, to reiterate what you were talking about before, yeah. on the scent, I mean, I was getting this caramel note, but I know just as a recipe, uh, just from experience, yeah. that, that wouldn't it's put, not gonna I wouldn't, I wouldn't no. put any caramel in there. So those flavors can come through from the Vienna and the Munich malt. 
as mm -hmm. well, right? It could um, even be a process. Or uh, it could be the melanoidin yeah, process the by decoction. Heaviness of the boil. But do you uh, think someone like a, like a production brewery would do a decoction? I don't mash? think they would do a decoction. Do you on think this? they would throw in some melanoidin malt? It could have been melanoidin malt. Um, it could have been them deciding to go uh, for a longer boil. Right, longer boil caramelization. Mm -hmm. um, so those of you that don't know, um, there are malleard reactions that occur when you take a protein and boil boil a protein or cook the protein, and that it gets a protein upon protein caramelization, if that makes sense. It's probably the easiest way that I can explain it mm -hmm. to people. When you think of caramelization, you think of sugar caramelizes into caramel. Mm -hmm. When you think of melanoidin or you think of malleard reactions, you think of protein caramelizing into protein, almost as if you were to take a barbecued piece of chicken, put it on the grill, and how that crispiness comes through in, in the meat. And that flavor. And that you get flavor, that nice, thick, uh, mouth-watering flavor. And the same thing happens with grain, with the proteins in grain, if you were to do that with the grain. So when we say melanoidin malt, there's malt out there that has already been processed to have that in there. But there's a process that you could do when brewing, and that process is called decoction brewing. And the typical authentic Oktoberfests, if you will, and, and back me up if, or, or call me out to the carpet if I'm wrong. No, in good. an Oktoberfest, in order for them to do step mashes back in the day, they would have to take a, a portion of that mash out of the, the mash, boil the crap out of it, and they would boil it for a length of time knowing that if they did that, they would get the flavor they were looking for and they would be able to boost their mash temperature to a different degree in order to get a different um, rest, so to speak, yep. um, yeah, they're, they're, to break down the proteins that are in that rest. Their biggest thing that they were you know, looking at and it ended up – it was more the flavor came after right. realizing, oh, yeah, you know, there's these great flavors coming through, but the they knew – over you know trial and error because they still had no idea what an enzyme was. They had no idea yeast was fermented. No, no. Stuff. So it was just trial and error. They knew that you <laughs> hit certain temperatures. Like, yeah. How do you not know what yeast is? I know. Right? <laughs> Thousands of years of brewing, yep. and yet you still don't know what yeast it's is. It's the magic stick. Yeah. Get that magic paddle <laughs> off the wall. But uh, in a German voice, that was yeah. my best German voice. That was a terrible German yeah, voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. The. <laughs> They knew over uh, trial and error experimentation that you hit certain temperatures on your rests and you'll get different flavors out in your beer. So you hit certain different uh, multiple rests throughout, you get a more rounded flavor in your beer and, and so on. So their way of uh, going through Stepping these step mashing to get those hit those certain temperatures is you know, not to direct fire their mash and keep mixing it up, not to burn it. They would take some out, a certain percentage bring it to 212 degrees, and then add it back into it. And they knew from proportion and temperature, and because, of course, they didn't have a thermometer either. They just knew once I'm boiling, I'm at this temperature, and a certain right. proportion of that going in Absolutely. will bring me up to this next temperature that I'm looking for. Sort of like how I brew. Yeah. And it's the way everybody starts brewing. I forgot my thermometer. Yeah, Let's so do proportions on boiling. Yeah. Um, I but, know when the water's boiling. Yeah. I can see it. It's uh, my water's been sitting outside in the sun for this amount of time. It's this temperature outside, so if I take a percentage off and boil it, then I'm at my rash temperature that I'm looking for. Okay, but I digress. Uh, but yeah, their their way of doing it was was decocting, right. and it gave those Maillard reaction flavors yep. that we're, we're we're talking about. The other way to to step mash up is through 
infusion, and that would just be to constantly add more boiling water. Right. But you don't get those. They, you, you wouldn't do. They they wouldn't have done that as much back back then because it would have been more. Uh, it, it was the issue of starting with a thicker mash, going to a thinner mash, and it was different styles of beer that they would have moved those right, forward with, right. not a lighter, not a lighter style. But beer. the the technique and the Mayard reactions and the um, how do you pronounce it? Is it Mayard, Mallard, whatever? Mayard reactions or Mayard reactions? Mayard, tomato, tomato. Yeah, yeah we um, all get the same. They're one. they're the they're the reason why the Oktoberfest is so mouth watering and. So like full of body and and that caramel flavor, that caramel scent that we get through, that's that's apropos to that style, and it's and it's not heavy. No, it's not a heavy thing. It's, it's just there, right? It's, and it's it's light. It's in the background, but I, it's noticeable. I think yeah. that's one of the hardest things for people to understand that heaviness doesn't equate to uh, the color of the beer, the way the beer is, or 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 the the. The type of beer that you're drinking, mm -hmm. it equates to mostly in brewing alcohol content and and fullness of the flavor. But anyway, I digress again because I'm <laughs> drinking. I always digress when I'm drinking. But that caramel tone is all caramel scent. It's all Mallard scent. It's all like protein upon protein. And then when you take that sip, I could tell you right off the bat, uh, this has got to be a young Oktoberfest because I'm getting separate flavors from this thing yeah it's not it's not all it's, it's not rounded it's, it's not, not mellowed right. out it's not not that it's completely the flavors are distant from each other no. but it's not as rounded not as you would get from uh, a nice long lager right. so this 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 yeah. october fast or this october fest you know was brewed pretty recently um maybe during midsummer but that's okay yeah yeah the beer is fantastic it's really good it comes out Malty up front, right across the tongue, and then just that malt just disappears, and I'm getting the spicy you get tones. That, that like smooth finish of hops, and then that just gone, gone. And, and then you're like, I you're want just more. ready. You're like, I'm ready for my next sip. Let's go again. And yep. while you know, talking about the next sip, we get we have another beer up in front of us that we want to try. Another Oktoberfest. This Here, is actually hold it up to the mic. Is it twist off? Yeah. I don't know why. They oh, that was a little poof. Yeah. Shiner, Shiner Oktoberfest. A little bit of a. A poof there, twisting it off. Nothing too. Not that there's anything wrong with a twist off. No. Twist offs are fine if you're you're a big company, but come on, do a little tradition here. If you're gonna make a bottle, <laughs> put it in a beer bottle that you have to pop. So we're looking. I'm just looking at the label here right now. Nice, you know, Texas orange, Shiner Martin style Oktoberfest. Uh, orange is the color associated. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Pouring some of this out here for Warren. No, it's very similar color. Some for myself. Well, hopefully it is. You know, it's there's the color difference in those two beers wasn't any anything to shake a stick at. No, they're both they're both, they're both pretty much right in on. line with what Oktoberfest should look like. Very clear. Mm. Can't tell. Eh, my guess would be is that they filtered it. No, yeah, I would say they did. Um, I but, just can't tell specifically. Uh, there's a slight haze to it, but it could very well just be the glass. Uh, with uh, condensation on the outside. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting pretty good clarity. It is pretty darn good clarity coming well, through that. Yeah. Would you accept a darker version of this? Yeah. How? I would. So right now we're looking at something like uh, orange drink, orange, if that's okay. Uh, like yeah, right on the verge of orange and goldenrod. Yep. Yep. And I wonder if you would 
go down as far as amber with. Uh, you, I, I think you can get up to an amber, a light amber color with. Uh, with Oktoberfest. Yeah. And I know Especially that. Especially with the decoction. And not only that, if you're not, if you don't have the capability to brew all grain and you're doing it with extract, mm -hmm. you're going to get caramelized. You're going to get that color. You're, yeah. you're going to get that color. So don't be discouraged if you do that. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there. A lot of brewers use extract, and the beer turns out just fine. So don't worry about the color. As long as you're in the range of, you know, the burnt sienna orange to, you know, some kind of amber color. And on the nose, I'm getting that that caramely again, but this is nowhere near as heavy as the other one. This no, is this is very subdued. subtle. Yeah, very subtle. And I'm not getting anything else other than a tiny little pinch you of know, caramel. It's funny. It takes me a long sniff yeah, to get that. You really got to pull it up there because yep. there's nothing else really coming out. But it's out. there. It's the same flavor oh, yeah. profile. Uh, same, same smell aroma. profile. It's a little different on the, mm -hmm. a little different on the flavor. You know, it's funny. I get malt. It's 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 malt, but it's not that grainy, nope, toasty nope. malt and, that you get. And before. the hops are hidden in the background. They are. They don't finish off in the end like the other ones did. This is just. This tastes, honestly, like if you were to just drink a pilsner. Yeah, with a, a little. with a little bit. Caramelized, yeah, yeah, a little bit more of a caramelized reaction yep. in the back. That, that's honestly exactly what it tastes yep. like. It's not bad. No, um, it's definitely drinkable, and I would say it's probably right within style. It's within style. It's more on now one I'm, end of the style than the other. Now I'm getting a lot of um, Munich malt in here. Mm -hmm. I, I get that Munich malt going on. I'm getting like that, and I think that that could also be what they may have done in here. Instead of doing a base of Vienna, they did more base of Pilsner. With a pinch of Munich to get the color they're looking for, so the flavor's not coming through yeah. heavy, but it's there with the Munich as opposed to more with the Vienna. And they def definitely used a lighter hop profile, as yes. far as the other one that had to be either a heavier to mid-range hop. This one's a light to mid-range hop mm -hmm. in that order, because they got a lot of hop forward. Unless they use a ton of hops in in the uh, Sierra Nevada, this one it's either a very subtle Hallettauer hop range for you know in, in the twos and the fours between the twos and the fours because it doesn't come through like I don't, I don't get it and then i get a little bit of the bitterness in the back but then it just my mouth starts to water again mm -hmm. because of the malt character not the hop character i think sierra nevada may have also put another um hop addition in the flavoring to really pull through this may have some in the flavoring, but if there is any, they can't help themselves. Can no, they? It's, they got <laughs> it's here in Nevada. They have so much hops probably lying around in their warehouse. They're like, if we're brewing a beer, it's got to have at least this minimum amount. I don't care where you throw it in there, yep. just put it in there. You got to have a finishing hop. Put it at zero all the fucking time. You know, it could. You know, we just got a question from our audience. Uh, we were asked that if this this beer from uh, Shinerbach could be oxidized from Twist Cap. I'm not. I'm not picking up much oxidation no. on there. The twist caps have more potential to have right. an oxidized flavor than a this fry off. Is, this beer has been handled properly, but I'm not saying that you know a twist off can't have that oxidation issue. For sure, that could be the problem. But I'm not. I'm not really getting oxidized. I'm getting just a very like subtler flavor profile from this one than yeah, I am from it, this it's, year. Yeah. It's, if, if you look like the skim of rock, if you were to take a rock and try to skim it across the lake, Sierra Nevada would have sank right on the first throw. 
This one kind of skips Doesn't across. Yeah, yeah, it just skips across the top. But yeah, it's not bad. I mean, I would, no, it's definitely still within definitely, style. I would definitely it's just on it. one more uh, de on. Uh, yeah, give me a little different more. scale. Uh, it's on one end of the spectrum yeah. of a Oktoberfest than Sierra Nevada was on. Yeah. Pretty good. Uh, it's pretty fascinating to think everyone's interpretation. That's that's another thing that I love about brewing is that it, it brings your interpretation to the table. So that's where the artistic side comes in. Well, talking about your 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 artistic side of this day, where would you fit your Oktoberfest? And we've talked about these past two and what we think their recipes may have been or pushed forward. What's your ideal Oktoberfest? You don't have to go into amounts for no. craziness. Just generally, you know. My technique would be authentic grains from this from, okay. from the region. You're talking Munich malt, Vienna malt, and Pilsner malt. Mm -hmm. um, a portion of all three together in a mash. Mm -hmm. I'd probably mash somewhere around 155, yep. 157 between those two ranges. And I would also probably ramp up to that point by doing a decoction because I'm a glutton for punishment. Now, on your decoction while you're ramping up to that, mm -hmm. how many step decoction would you do? Probably a two-step decoction. I and would. what rests, general rest areas would you stop in? I would go in at 124 for the protein. Okay. I would sit there, and then I would pull out a thick portion of the mash, probably a gallon's worth, maybe two gallons worth of mash, and boil that up and go to about 140, 42, 44. Okay. Um, okay. And then, I could I could see that there. Cause then I would take another portion, mm -hmm. probably a, a gallon, um, and go up to about one fifty six, one fifty seven, after boiling for yeah. about twenty minutes. And then I would probably so two full like decoctions and then a thin decoction to bring it up to mash, to bring it out to mash out. And I would pull the thin decoction. I would just pull the the probably one scoop of mash into the pot, fill the rest up with three quarts of water or sorry three quarts of sweet wort mm -hmm. boil that add that back for a mash out and then start to boil off okay so just to break down what you've said for you know some people that may be on either a small scale of home brewing or just beginning into the home brewing, the different step mashes that you're talking about and hitting these different rests are for activating different enzymes within these uh malted grains that you have already crushed for you now in your malt the okay. Malting company has already broken down the base inside of your grain so that all you have to do now is activate these enzymes to break down the starch for you into simple sugars. Correct. So what Warren's saying, besides the the protein rest, that's something we can get into later on. Uh, it's definitely bigger into other styles of beers, right. like wheat beers and stuff. But specifically the, the sugar rests, um, the amylase rests we're looking at is uh, alpha amylase and beta amylase. And the two temperatures that he's hitting on are activating dead center practically on both individual enzymes. For most home brewers, when you're going to be brewing something, even a lot of professional brewers, especially myself, I'm going to be looking for a single step temperature. So I'm going to be trying to target something in between an alpha and a beta. But when you can move through and do these decoctions or do an infusion mash and hit multiple steps, you usually want to hit as close to optimal temperature range on each one of these enzymes is possible. Uh, that will allow for, let me think here for a second, beta amylase is below. So that would be beta amylase is your one you're going to be hitting for 142. Yep. Uh, and that's going to allow you to take these large starch molecules and take small 
maltose uh, chunks off the edges of them. Refer to it as a tree. I've yeah. heard that yeah. before. Yeah. No, that's great, actually. This big tree of, of starch. And all you're doing at the end is you have a little, uh, you know, lop shears or whatever, and you're taking off these little chunks of the small branches from the edges. Right. That's where he's starting off with his his first uh, sugar rest at 142, and then he's jumping over um, from there to his alpha amylase rest, and he's going to be taking chunks now from the inside of the tree to drop off the limbs. Yeah, the limbs, and he's going to be popping those guys off. Boom, 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 because it can get, those can get more into the center of the the starch molecule and break it apart. Now, by doing the decoction and having those separate rests at that 155 temperature, 157, you're no longer activating your beta amylase. Right. So you, once you've lopped off that chunk, you can't go back and take off these small pieces of the branches. They so remain in they solution. They remain in solution. So you're going to have these larger chain proteins that are going to give you sweetness that the yeast cannot eat up for you. Hence October Hence the Oktoberfest, the little bit of body you're getting, a little bit more sweetness you're getting in there. Whereas for myself, if I want to try to create that flavor from a professional brew system that I'm not going to be doing a step mash on or a decoction or anything like that, and I'm just going to be picking one temperature, I would want to make my mash temperature closer to that 155, 157 mark. Maybe not that high, but a lot closer to it so that I still have these bigger sugars that yeast aren't going to be eating to try to mimic that flavor, but I can't get the exact same thing by doing a single infusion, yeah. but I can get close. Well done. I mean, that's when people don't have the capability to do step mashes. A lot of people mash in a mash ton, so you don't have a direct fire system that you can bring up the, the yeah. step temperatures. So you do these decoctions. And sometimes a lot of people don't have that capability to do decoctions. Mm -hmm. So when that's the case, you always say, what's the best target? Somewhere between beta and alpha. And you want to hit that target, usually 152, 153. Okay. Yeah. And um, that could be on this uh, this beer we have here with the, the Shiner. Right, right. It could very well be a single infusion. Yep. A lot of their beers, they're, they're not going to go over the top, do a multiple step. Right. Um, it could very well be a, a single infusion, single step uh, mash process in here. That's why the body may be a little bit lower or you know not not body being lower but the uh the mouthfeel the mouthfeel being a little bit lower because right. you have less unfermentable sugars Absolutely. in there because you're hitting that point Very where good point. both enzymes are breaking stuff down Very good point you know um we could go on forever with this we could talk oh, yeah. to you in depth and, and put you to sleep tonight if you want to <laughs> um but we got some more that's beer the, to try no, yeah. <laughs> so uh we're gonna take a break right now um we're gonna do uh, a little bit of timeout. We're going to refill our glasses. We ask you to do the same, and we're going to come back to you and talk to you a little bit about what Brooklyn has to offer as far as our Oktoberfest. And then we're going to tie into what we're going to talk about next month yep. um, when we come back and talk to you live. Yeah, uh, so join us. Come back again after the break. Make sure you come back and uh, yep. go fill your glasses up. We'll be find, back. Find a Brooklyn Oktoberfest. We'll back on back. <laughs>
All right, welcome back. We're uh, we're just finishing up our second of the two, uh, three beers that we're going to try tonight. The second one was Scheinerbach. Our first one was Oktoberfest. I noticed a big difference in the two beers right off the bat. Um, they both smelled pretty much the same. One was a lot stronger in the scent of grains. It was very malty. The second one was a little subdued. But the first one, Sierra Nevada, they must put a finishing hop in there. Because they have to. It just it was all flavor of finishing it hops. Was, it was malt, malt, malt. That died away and then hop finish. Hop finish. And it was drying, no. but it was nice. It and it was wasn't like nice. your, it wasn't like an IPA hop finish. No, no, no. It's not what you're expecting for you know anything within within American style hopping. This is this is traditional right. European German style hops so, finishing. So let's talk about that. Let's let's hash that out really quickly. Okay. Because we got to get into yeah, yeah. this next beer, and that, that's Brooklyn beer. And I hope you guys are going to enjoy your Brooklyn Oktoberfest with us. So if you have time, go out and get that Oktoberfest right now. We'll be going to hash out these hops. And I'll tell you right now, these these hops that uh, that were in Sierra Nevada and Shinerbach, they all are reminiscent of what you just described as the noble hops. Uh, of the time, and I don't know if you could discuss that or explain that a little bit, but there, I think there are like four noble hops that are. There's Tettnanger, I yep. know that's one. That's a German hop. Yep. There's Hallertau, yep. and that's a that's another. There's Sots, um, and I, I can't even think of the what fourth is, what one. What is the fourth? Is it Magnum? I don't no. think it's Magnum. Is it, is it Pearl? No, I don't think no, because I think Pearl is a derivative of Magnum, but I don't know. Like there's, I think there's. Maybe I'll have to think of East this. Kent Goldings. No, no, these are all. It's all European stuff. They're, they're all, uh, all German. German, right? They're all, all German. German. Um, is it Middlefru? I know Middlefru is. The, but it's a it's a Hallertau. That's a Hallertau Middlefru. Yeah. So I don't know. Is it Hallertau Middlefru? Hallertau Hallertau Sots. It could be Hersbrucker. And oh, it might be Hersbrucker. I think you're right. Now that you say that, yeah. I think it's Middlefru, Hersbrucker. Sots and Tetanang. Yep, I think those that are the sound, four. That sounds right. But if you know what those flavors are that they produce in there, it's the noble flavor of hop that comes through. It's that subtle spice, but that like grandma's attic, like takes you back to that time frame yeah. when they first discovered those hops. And you're like, it brings you to Germany right away. It really does. It just it it is it, it consumes you, and you you're like transported momentarily into this. Germanic hop field back in like the 1400s where you know the blue and white diamonds were waving in the wind of the flag <laughs> and people were wearing their lederhosen and dirndels and drinking out of uh, ceramic mugs and that's what I get when I get when I taste the Oktoberfest out of Sierra Nevada Schatterbach not so much but it's there um, and now let me ask you as a professional yep. for me the choices of hops are unlimited. If you were to produce your Oktoberfest, for me, I would go with either Magnum, Pearl, Hallard Tower, yeah. um, just because I'm frugal and mm -hmm. hops are expensive. So I would use the least amount that I could use, and you get that in Magnum and Pearl. Mm -hmm. um, but for you, uh, I know that Oktoberfests are, if you were going to brew one as a brewer, because yeah. I don't even know if that's going to be a specialty for you, Maybe down the road. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure it will be in some form or another. The what, the what, difficulty is going to. What would be your choice of hop to use? And I'm assuming, I don't know this for a fact, yeah. but I'm assuming that you would you wouldn't use a finishing hop, or would you? A very slight finishing hop. Very slight. If I'm going to use one at all, I'd probably throw in. Oh, so you're one of those people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> 
Bob Ewan with Ken Grossman that you can't you can't stop yourself. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I uh, I would throw in for a beer like this a sixty and a fifteen. I wouldn't throw in a zero, and I definitely you wouldn't be dry hopping this in the slightest. Um, my sixty minute edition, just because it's not going to make a damn difference as to what what I put in there, will probably be Magnum. Right, it's going to be one of the bigger hop varieties that I'm going to be holding on to. Right, so why not use it in the bittering? Right. And it's a delicious hop. I mean, oh, you, yeah. can, you can do a whole beer with Magnum. If you really want it. Yeah. It, it really comes through nicely. And the 15-minute the edition would be, more than likely for me, uh, Hershberger. Because, again, it's another hop that I'm going to be using a good amount of in other beers that I have. So, you know, it, it's, within that, it's within that family that you're looking for, and it's a large variety that you have. The other nice thing is that those noble varieties tend to be cheaper. Right. So making an Oktoberfest isn't going to break the bank for you. Malt is relatively cheap, and those styles of hops are relatively cheap. You know, it's amazing uh, to think that you know, uh, Noble has been around. It's just a, you know, Noble has been around for a very long time, and the, the term Noble means that a lot of other cultivars have sprouted from these hop uh, varieties. And to be cheaper or not cheaper but less expensive than yeah. these new fandangled you know cg412 super high alpha fruity hops that are like 14 dollars an ounce compared to yeah. 99 cents an ounce of german hops the ones that have been around the longest get the fewest uh, accolades but when you're when you're brewing traditionally when you're doing a traditional style and i think that's where I lie. I love the traditional style. When you're brewing, there's nothing better than using the noble hop yeah. for your variety. And oh, absolutely. For an Oktoberfest, I think it's very suitable. You're not going to want an Oktoberfest with citra hops. No, absolutely not. You you will never get that Oktoberfest flavor right, brewing right. with the citra hop. Right, right. You'd probably get a melanoidin bomb with citra, but you're not going to get an Oktoberfest. No. Nah. Sure. So moving on, um, do us the honors. You yep. had the opener. Let's crack this. Uh, We're gonna go this Brooklyn up. open here. Brooklyn. Um, see how hoppy this one is. Um, I just did it again. I have a bad habit of scratching my chest where my uh, mic is, and I apologize to the listeners out there. Um, but let's hash this out. A lot of home brewers don't have the capability to lager. Mm-hmm. So in our industry, as of the last couple of years, we've come up with a couple of different styles of beer, but they're the same. They use a hybrid ale yeast strain. The ale yeast strain that can ferment low in the low 60s, even in the high 50s, all the way up to the low 70s. And you could still condition in a bottle in the fridge, lagering, and come up with a very clean flavor of beer. Traditionally, Oktoberfest have brewed in March, lagered all summer long, brought out in September for celebration. But a lot of homebrewers that come to me start their Oktoberfest beginning of September in hopes to be drinking it by the beginning of October. Yeah. So we call them Oktoberfest or Mocktoberfests. And the yeast strain that I give them that I found that works best is 3470. It's a fermented sales strain. Um, and it, it's a lager strain, but it works like at ale temperatures. So it's the opposite of an ale strain working at lager temperatures. It really does really well. It scrubs the beer up really nice over a period of time, cold lagering in the bottle. And I just love the way that it comes out. Um, I've known people that use Kolsch yeast, cream ale yeast, 
some kind of hybrid ale yeast strain, maybe even San Francisco lager strain, to get that flavor of yeast, uh, that flavor of Oktoberfest to come through. Mm -hmm. It really does marry well with the types of grains that are used. Um, but for you, as a professional brewer, you have the luxury of glycol. Yes. You have the luxury of fermenting at a controlled cold temperature. Mm -hmm. Unlike home brewers, if we were to spend $1,500 on a glycol conical fermenter, <laughs> we could do so. But jealousy is a fact here. Um, I know we look at your system and we drool. Uh, but tell us about the kind of yeast strains that you would use. Well, and what are you looking for in those flavors? Because I know in these in the examples that we had here, I really didn't pick up any yeast flavor. No. And that's a that's there was, a lager. There was that slight finish on the flavor that we that we got through that was almost like that rubberiness at the very end. Okay. And that's very typical of a German style lager yeast. What does that come from? It's sulfur. So extra sulfur production from and that's the SO4 yeast fermenter. sulfur. Yes. And I believe the yeast that produces it a little bit more is S23 dry yeast. That's fermentous, right? I believe it's a fermentous. Yeah, it's, yellow, it's yellow package. I, I think it's it. that one. Um, so the difference, there's SO4 and there's SO2. There's, right? You can have dye, uh, the sulfur dioxide. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. I was, and you can have SO4, which is another sulfur yeah, yeast. Sorry, I forgot you went back to chemicals. I was thinking S22, and then I was in your SO4 and S22. I was completely jumping. Yeah, yeah. I'm Here we sure are talking the to the chemist who decided to go to beer. There you go. There's the answer. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's S S23 that comes through with a little bit more of that sulfur. It's that European lager strain, um, and it's gonna it's gonna give you that sulfury snap at the end. It, it's almost like when you're drinking a, a little bit less to the extreme. If you drink a St. Pauli girl or something, you get that rubberiness in the finish of it. That's yeah. your traditional. German extra sulfur production. They seem to go a little bit over the top on some of this, but you get some of it in the background on both of these. Um, so I think they may be using a European variety of lager yeast. For myself, if I'm going to be making something over here, especially in the next couple of years, I've got to look at a couple of things. Because lagering... Oh, water. Wa <laughs> yeah, <laughs> water. But... Uh, besides that, um, every one of my year-round beers is going to, from the very beginning, is going to be an ale. An ale beer for me is about a week of ferment and a couple days moving it around to get into a keg afterwards. So I'm looking at the most on majority of my beers 10 days before it's already out into a keg. For a lager, I'm going to want to hold it in a cold temperature for about two weeks. Right. So not only is the ferment going to be a little bit longer than seven days, it'll probably be 10, but then I want to hold it for 14 days in cold temperature sure. at the minimum before I move it out. Right. So unless I know that I can hold this one fermenter for that amount of time, I'm not going to want to use a lager strain. I'm going to make what you would consider an Oktoberfest or a Mocktoberfest. But for me, luckily, is I'm also going to have a Kolsch as one of my um, year-round beers. So you're going to have the cold strain. Well, the cold strain I used to be able to do it. It's going to give a slight bit of fruitiness in there in the background, traditional to a, to, to a Kolsch. But I don't the, think you're going to notice that. You're not because a Kolsch is going to have straight Pilsner malt, right. whereas this is going to have a lot more Vienna to it, which that has toastiness and that, that carameliness that's going to come through. 
is going to cover up that or at least marry nicely with that that fruitiness in there and you're not going to be able to realize it's in there i'm not going to get that sulfur finish to it but it's still going to finish off clean it's going to finish off crisp and i'm going to be able to get it out from start to finish in two weeks as opposed to having to wait that whole three and a half or so right, right. to get it through. Are and you ever going to do that though? Are you, will you ever wait three and a half on something? I think I will eventually yeah. when I start getting more tanks into the loop and be able to we really hold the time for that. Right. In which case I will jump into a specifically a European lager strain to be able to do something sure. like that. Absolutely. But in the beginning, I'm not going to be able yeah. to. But let's, so, yeah, let's get into this uh, Brooklyn that we've cracked I've been, open. I've been, I've been sipping here. it as you've been talking. Yeah. And I, I tell you what, before you take a sip though, Okay. Um, just sm just smelling weeks, it right now. Yeah, just two weeks ago, uh, we did this contest with Brooklyn. Um, we had uh, and, and the, the, the Clone Wars. Yeah, Clone yeah. Wars. We had NJ Hobbs. We had a Brooklyn Brown Clone Wars, where people in our club made the Brooklyn Brown clone to the beer, and they had to make it as close as they could get it to the Brooklyn Brown. And when you first drink a Brooklyn Brown, it's it's a decent beer. Don't get don't get me wrong, but there's a flavor that comes off almost tinny, almost like metallic, and that's the finish of the Brooklyn Brown. And we talked about that and how people are going to come up with that signature tinniness that leaves with the Brooklyn Brown. And <laughs> I want to drink the beer, Warren. You tell me not to drink this beer. And God as my witness, as God tastes with me. Not that I'm getting holy. I just, I just, <laughs> I just don't know how to say this anymore. I am getting tinny from this beer, just like I was the Brooklyn Brown. Get out and take a sip of this thing. Now you got to take a sip of it, man. I just, I get the tin finish. Yeah. What is up with that? What is that? It's got to be either their water profile or their. I would probably say it's their water profile yeast. because it's not there. It can't be their yeast. Why not? Because this is an Oktoberfest lager. The brown isn't lagered. <laughs> you know, well, that I, makes sense. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Like, it's got to be something in their water. I'm getting this, and I still get that fruitiness through my. It's it's a great beer. I like it. It's got hops. It's got malt. It's like a almost um, middle of the road Oktoberfest compared to the two that we tasted. The first one was very hoppy. The second one was very malty. This one's like middle of the road. So, I don't know. Maybe it's that New York City water. Well, that's, that's actually what our producer just threw out over. He goes, New York City water is from the Adirondacks. So I'm, I'm ah. guessing I should know about all this. Oh, um, yeah. So you did you get a tinny flavor up no. in Adirondack? What's weird from, for me is all the water we got was – I don't know if this is going to stop people from drinking any more Adirondack beer, but it was from Lake, Lake George, George. yeah. And it was unbelievably soft water. Really? nothing in it. We had to add minerals back all over the place to do whatever the heck. As we opposed to Hackestown water, which is unbelievably hard. I should bring <laughs> down Adirondack water to mix with it. Make yeah, an average it may water. be fine. You know, it registers eight on that. But I was never getting tinniness out of anything from Lake George. I don't know if it's different. You know, water source or, or, or you know, slightly different water source coming. It's from almost cut like an acid, um, like a acidulated malt bill to this. Like I'm getting that same flavor I would if I were to eat vinegar chips. That tinniness at the end, the finish. It's very, very strange. And they have it, I guess, two beers now that I've had recently from Brooklyn Brewery. I'm wondering if now we should do a, a whole like taste test on just Brooklyn beer and see if they yeah, have. You could always try it. Yeah. You know, that'd be interesting to do. I wonder if their pumpkin ale has that. <laughs> 
Hold on. Let's go back let, all the way back from the nose and, okay. and really break this yep, down. Absolutely. Yeah, be fair to our customers, our clients. Again, I'm getting that. I'm getting that flavor. What What did our producer just say? Uh, he threw down magnesium with a question mark, and it very well could be, yeah, magnesium, could be magnesium. Yeah, absolutely. It's that metal, that metallic, that metallic, and you don't really get flavor. that from calcium, but magnesium could produce yep. that. You know, and here he is. Our producer going, I don't know anything about beer. Yeah, he's you like, know? I don't want to tell you. I don't know anything. <laughs> throwing down all these terms. He threw down magnesium. He threw down Adirondacks. He's throwing down term, big yep. terms all yeah, over the place. Yeah. He's, keep, he's keeping us in line, making us look good. That's for sure. But no. I'm, I'm getting the same scent that I am from the Oktoberfest that I had before. Um, that's not a problem. It's it's got it's got two things in the nose, and one of them is is definitely that that caramel, um, not heavy caramel, but again that caramel aroma. And it's the other one is, it's almost that Brooklyn aroma again. It's like with the flavor, it also has that aroma exactly, to it. Exactly. Yeah. And normally people talk about, oh yeah, it's got that uh, you know that house yeast that gives it that flavor. But like Warren's saying, it's like, it can't be the yeast because it's multiple yeast strains, so you're getting that same flavor, and yet at this time you're also getting it in the aroma. Yeah. So it's really weird to have all this stuff coming through with that. Right. But the flavor I'm getting right off the bat. And you got a graininess in there, mm -hmm. but it's not not the same type. It's very like I, I'm getting graininess and hops all wavy through all over my but tongue. But it's not a crisp no, toasty it's, grain. No, this it's is a, a muddled yeah. A muddled, like almost a rounded just like a, a bold round not a sharpness just a bold round green flavor coming through yeah and it definitely and is between it's muddled the with the hops right it's almost like you took the grain flavor and you just took this like a a cup of hop pellet and just threw it at the, almost at the grain as, almost as if this has been around for a while almost as if it's been blended for a while because I'm, I'm really not getting too much of a separation between the malt and the hops not it's a like, full out like like not, malt not a, hops. Not a full mustiness, no, but there's like, a slight malt, mustiness small hops, small hops, small hops, small hops, small hops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm getting. <laughs> up and down, up and down. But it's not bad. It's It's mm. got the same signature it's, flavors that we're looking for. Yeah. And an Oktoberfest has got the... The big the, flavors uh, the, that are coming yeah. out are those slight caramels in the aroma, yeah. the graininess, and then, you know, throughout... It'd be interesting if we could get Garrett Oliver on the phone... Uh, to talk about what his technique is, if you ever there goes my hand again. Yeah, Sorry. scratching at them like. Well, um, we'll, we'll have to do the, like you said, with that that Brooklyn flavor. Maybe one of the days we'll just do a show, Brooklyn beer on Brooklyn, and call Garrett Oliver up and, and get see him if we can talk. get him on our talk yeah. show. That'd be great. That'd be wonderful. And I, you know, I've talked to him in, in previous conversations. He'd be more than willing to if he has the time. I know he's yeah. a busy man. He's been traveling across the world, yeah, going to uh, Sweden and and whatnot, opening up several breweries out there got mm -hmm. that's good for him you know so um you know i don't know <laughs> um okay so tonight we uh we just drank a couple of beers now well, we had the sienna Nevada oktoberfest the schoenerbach oktoberfest i'm sorry schoener marchin style oktoberfest not schoenerbach and the brooklyn oktoberfest <laughs> You know, uh, we were asked to rate these beers, and you know, I, I just can't do it. I can't, I can't rate a beer and say one is better than the other. I really, could, I could give a favorite over the three. Yeah, and, and again, that's a subjective outcome. Exactly. Right. It's it's not an objective outcome. But I, I can subjective. I can to me to me the Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest would come out on top. I feel overall. 
the certain flavors that I was looking for, that European hop flavor was coming through, that 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 sulfury finish was in there, the grainy toastiness was coming through really nicely, right. and that slight caramel nose to it. You know, the other ones just were either too subdued or had a little bit too much of something else in there. Right. But, if, if I was in a bar and I had to order all three of these, I'd say I would order them again. Yes. All right? Yes, absolutely. There's um, nothing wrong with The one with that wowed beers. me, the one that really put me back in time was the Sierra Nevada. Mm -hmm. I would agree with you on that. That really yeah, There's made, nothing wrong with these beers. Right. Nothing that would turn me away and say, you know what? No, as far as, it's not an Oktoberfest or I would never drink these right. again. As far as like two style... I think they all are. I think the Oktoberfest is a little from Sienna is a little out of style, but I think that's what made me like it better. Mm -hmm. um, the Shiner Bach, I feel, was right in line with what that style was, or is, or you know, it's just all malt, you mm -hmm. know, and that's usually what an Oktoberfest is. It's just all malt. You don't get those hot flavors. Yeah. You don't get to appreciate those hot flavors like you do in this year in Nevada Oktoberfest. And the Brooklyn was weird. I mean, I'm getting that. Not that it's a bad beer. I'm just getting that tinny flavor coming through, and I can't get over that. I just I can't get my mindset over there. Out of all of them, I would say the, the the Brooklyn, out of all three, came in last. The other two, I would say I would, you know, and not not to say that I wouldn't have all three of these at a bar over and over again. I would, um, yeah. But the Oktoberfest from Sierra Nevada wowed me with that flavor of hops. The Shinerbach, um, I think, is more in line with a March and style beer. Yeah. So. Um, that's our take. Um, we're going to get ready to wrap it up, fill our glass up one more time for our private talk. Um, we're uh, we're going to come back to you next month, um, and we're going to talk to you about cider making. Yeah, we're going to completely switch this around a little bit here, jump off of beer making, and you know just move on with other types of fer fermented uh, beverages and push into ciders. It's you know ciders are drank all throughout the year, but it's really this time of the year that Anybody can get apples and press them and make a nice cider. So we're going to uh, discuss the uh, the different types of ciders that are out there, different kind of flavors you can pull through. Maybe Warren, I'm sure, will pull up some history on cider making because he seems to know a boatload on that. And we'll go through the whole process on making it and through the fermentation and yep. everything. Come join us next month to find out why um, breweries were a result of the national beer or the national beverage of choice, uh, putting the national beverage of choice to style. Believe me, it wasn't beer back before prohibition. It was cider and find out why. Um, coming to you live or recorded, whatever, which way you want to talk. Yeah, we talk us, live, but you're probably um, listening to this recording. Right? Uh, is the cool ship. I'm Warren Wilson with Homebrew University. And, and I'm Matt Ziegler with Zigmeister Brewing. And until next time, cheers to you. Here's to a full glass. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers.
Welcome to the cool ship. I'm getting more beer. As Republicans would say, Republican says I can at the end of it. So does American, but Democrats are rats. I'm getting more beer. Um, can you hear it now? How about this? Can you hear this? I'm getting more beer. Christmas is around us. I'm getting more beer.